Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, I think the kids are welcome to go downstairs right now if they want. And while the band is finding their seats, uh, let's turn to the book of Acts. We got to start this last week. We looked at uh, the first 14 verses in this in this book, and we're going to try to finish off chapter 1 today. So turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 26. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. It says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said... Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Thus ends our reading of God's life-giving word. May it prepare the hearts of all who hear it. Question for you guys. How many of you have ever found yourself unprepared? Anyone out there? (laughs) Yeah, we've all been there, right? Perhaps it was in school and your teacher suddenly had a pop quiz for you, right? Maybe you had to give a presentation at work and your boss decides to jump the gun and ask you to present a day early. I I remember when I was in middle school, I I remember this time when I showed up to science class and I saw my friend sitting there and he had his head down and he was was studiously looking over his notes and I I asked him what he was doing. He said he was doing some last minute studying. I said, studying for what? <laughs> for the test, you dummy. <laughs> and, and I was a dummy, right? Because I, I had totally forgotten all about it. And so what did I do? I, I, I quickly pulled out my own notes and spent the next five minutes reviewing as much as I could. 
needless to say, that, that, that wasn't my best score in science that day. And why? Because I wasn't prepared, right? I, I wasn't ready for what my teacher had planned. As we get older, what we will, what we discover is, is that life, it just goes so much easier when we are prepared, right? And this is true in the church as well. God wants his people to be prepared. Let me ask you, what would you guys do if suddenly today we had 50 new visitors in our church? What would you do? Praise God. Praise God, sure. <laughs> but, but would you be prepared? What, what if there were 100? What if 100 people suddenly just showed up? Would you be ready if God chose to bless us in such a way? We, we are now in our second week of this book of Acts. And, and if you recall from last week, we, we saw Jesus giving his commission to his apostles, right? He said this in verse 8. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus had, had promised to his, to his disciples that, that they would soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that they would receive this power from on high. And the reason that the, that the Holy Spirit would empower them was because they had been given such a mighty, mighty task, right? They were to be witnesses of Christ's saving work to the whole world, they were to spread the word. The word that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is alive, and that his kingdom has come upon them. Well, it was only moments after Jesus had given them this command, and, and what did he do? He, he ascended into heaven, where he is now reigning upon his throne. And, and we talked about the importance of that as well last week. That Christ reigns, and because he is reigning, the kingdoms of this world cannot stand against him. And that's where we left off last week, with these apostles being placed in this waiting pattern, right? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit, who had yet to come. And so Jesus commanded them to wait to remain in Jerusalem. And this is where we begin today with these apostles, as well as a handful of other believers waiting in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And yet before that outpouring would come, there, there was some unfinished business that needed to be taken care of. Some, something that, that, that was not set, was not complete. And so Peter steps up. Look, look at verses 15 through 17. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, 
which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. <clears throat> now there's a lot to unpack here, which, I, which is why I think it would be best for us to, to, to gain some sort of context first into what Peter was talking about. There, there are questions that need to be answered, right? For instance, what, what, what does Peter mean when, when he said that Judas was numbered among us? What, what was he talking about when, when he said that Judas was allotted his share in this ministry? In order to answer these questions, we, we need to look back, right? We need to look at Luke's other writing, right? That we need to look into his gospel. Now, now if you're at, at all familiar with the gospels, then you will know that, that Jesus had appointed 12 apostles, right? And yet, one of them turned out to be a traitor. Judas was that traitor. He, he, he had turned Jesus in to be arrested, right? He, he led, the, led the, the, the mob to him. And yet, he was still one of the 12. This number 12, why 12? Why not 10? Or why not 20 for that matter? Look at Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Writing about Jesus, Luke says this. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew. And Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James. And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so here we see the appointment of the twelve apostles, right? Uh, again, if you, if you remember from last week, we talked about what the role of an apostle was. How, how they were supposed to be Jesus' messengers, his, his special emissaries, if you will. They were to be those who would speak on his behalf. And, and so they had been given a, a certain authority in their service to Christ. And that is why Jesus was preparing these men, right? Preparing them for his kingdom work that they would accomplish after he was gone. But there's more. Look, look at Luke chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. Here we see Jesus once again talking to the twelve. He says this, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Did you catch that? Just as the father assigned a kingdom to his son, so now Jesus was assigning a kingdom to these 12 men. 
They would sit at the table of their king. That, that's important. Nobody just sits at the table of the king, right? He assigns them seats there. And why? Because they would act as judges over the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this role of apostle, it is a unique role. And it's unique in the fact that it has this aspect of kingdom of authority. So what Jesus is communicating here is that, is that the kingdom of Israel, that it would be restored and that, that these 12 apostles would be ruling over the 12 tribes. Essentially, these men were to act as judges over God's people as his kingdom expanded. They were to, they were to guide God's church in its infancy, making sure it stayed the course of the gospel message. And, and so this role of apostleship, it was unique in all of church history, as it was a timely office, one, one which need not be repeated today. For, for once the restoration of the kingdom was underway, once the, once the church had been established, this role of the twelve, it would have reached its fulfillment. And yet even today, we, we still feel the effects of these men, do we not? For our source of authority regarding this reestablished kingdom, where does it come from? It, it comes from these New Testament writings, the writings that come from these apostles. Which brings us back to the book of Acts, where, where we have seen this commissioning of the 11, along with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God, he was about to do something big, right? He, he was about to grow his kingdom. It was going to expand. And yet, one of the seats of leadership sat empty. And it needed to be filled. There needed to be a 12th apostle. Now, I've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel as well as the church. And so the other question that may be going through our minds right now is this. How are these things related? Here's, here's what you need to understand. What, what Luke wants to establish is that the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, the, the restoration of God's people, will be seen through the establishment of his church. I mean, think about it. What, what does the word church even mean? The Greek word is ekklesia. And it literally means the called out ones, right? It's to, to call someone out. And so those who comprise the church are those who are called by God out of the world and into his kingdom. In other words, the, the, the church is the assembly of God's chosen people. And, and isn't this exactly what the kingdom of Israel was? God's chosen people that he had called out of this world? That he had assembled together as a nation? 
I mean, the only difference between that Old Testament kingdom and, and this kingdom that is now being restored is, is that, that that old kingdom, it was defined by borders, right? Whereas this restored kingdom, it has no borders. It has no limit. I mean, what did Jesus command of them? That they were to go to the end of the earth, right? But this is exactly the reason why this 12th apostle was so significant. Because there was a ruling seat that was vacant. And the leadership of Christ's church, they needed to be ready. Ready for that outpouring of God's spirit that was coming their way. And yet before that seat would be filled, Peter, he, he gives to us this account, right? This account of, of the one who had formerly filled that seat. He, he spoke of the fate of Judas, uh, the, the one who betrayed Christ. And, and here, look, look, look at verses 18 through 20. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So why this explanation? Why, why does Luke describe to us about Judas' demise? And why does Peter mention to these believers about Judas in the first place? Here's what you need to understand. To, to these 120 that were in that room, and especially to these other apostles, Judas was a friend, Right? He was a close companion. And more than that, he was a leader among them, just like the other 11. Just like the other 11, Judas was called by Jesus and sent. Just like the other 11, Jesus had given to Judas the ability to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Just like the other 11, Judas was appointed by Jesus to be an apostle, a judge over the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet Judas threw it all away for 30 pieces of silver. You see, Judas's betrayal of Jesus was not just a betrayal against his master, but it was also a betrayal against these other disciples as well. This 120 that were in that room, they, they may still have been in shock over, over what Judas had done. And this is why we, we now see Peter explaining Judas's actions. Why, why he declares that it, it was actually necessary. And that it was a fulfillment of Scripture. In other words, this betrayal was God's will. Did Jesus make a mistake in choosing Judas? Absolutely not. 
In fact, Jesus knew that, that Judas would be the one who would betray him. And yet he chose him anyways. Think about that. One thing that you'll discover as you live your Christian life is that often, often God will use the evils of this world to carry out his will, his good and perfect will. And, and while it will hurt in the moment, God will ultimately use that suffering for your good. We don't always understand it. We don't always understand the reasoning behind it. And yet we know that God is sovereign. Peter is explaining this to the 120 that are in this room. And, and yet he's doing more than just that. For, for, for a while, he, Peter's in agreement that, that this was God's will. He also wants to communicate that, that, that Judas bore the responsibility. Was Judas following the course that God had set out for him? Absolutely. And yet at the same time, Judas had made his own decisions. And so even though God willed it, Judas was, the, was, for, Judas was to blame for his own wicked deeds. And, and this is what Peter is communicating. That, that God's judgment had fallen upon this man. The, the, the details that Luke gives us, these, these gruesome, horrific details concerning Judas's death, they're, they're meant to convey to us that, that God's fury had been poured out upon Judas. But more than that, for, for them, Peter conveys that, that Judas's fate was even spoken of in the Old Testament. Right? He says, the scripture said that, let his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. These words come to us from Psalm 69, verse 25. This, this, this is a messianic psalm that, that is written as a plea to God, a plea to bring about his judgment upon all those who, who are trying to destroy his righteous servants. And while this psalm can, can, can be applied to, to any wrongdoer out there, Peter is now applying it specifically to Judas. And then he, makes, he gives another quote, right? Only, only this time from Psalm 109, verse 8. He says, let another take his office. Psalm 109 is, is a psalm about God's vengeance, about God's vindication, it is a prayer to God asking that, that, that this wicked man's deeds would be known, that his days would be few, and that someone who is just and true would take his seat. And that is now the desire of not only Peter, but of the church as well, that Judas's seat would be filled by another, that, that the leadership would be established before they begin their advancement as God's army. But who would it be that would take his place? And what were the qualifica qualifications for an apostle? 
Look, look at the next few verses. Look at verses 21 through 23. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Here we see three criteria that Peter had laid out for the one who would take Judas's place. One, he must be a man. Peter, Peter doesn't leave room for the faithful women who have been with them from the beginning. And why? Because this role of apostle meant having authority over both men and women. And so this meant that this position was only open to men. Only open to men. But he must be a, one of the men who had accompanied them during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among them. Which leads us to our, his second criteria, right? That this man needed to have been with them. To have been a disciple of Jesus for the entire time. From the time of John's baptismal ministry until the time when Jesus ascended into heaven. In other words, he, he needed to have been sitting under the teaching of Jesus throughout the whole of Jesus' ministry. And finally, because this man was to be a witness to a crucified and risen Lord, he, he needed to have directly seen Jesus after that first Easter Sunday. He must be able to attest to a resurrected Christ. So he needed to be a man, he needed to have been trained by Jesus, and he needed to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. While two men were put forth, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Now we don't know much about these two men, but one thing we do know is that they met these three criteria, right? And most likely, they, they were part of the 72 men that, that Jesus had sent out back in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Look, look at how Jesus would have trained them. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, and every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. 
Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And so we see that that these men had much of the same hands-on training with Jesus that the other 11 had. And so both this Joseph and this Matthias, they were qualified men, each one ready to lead. But who would fill that empty seat? Who would be the one that would become that 12th apostle? Would it be Joseph or would it be Matthias? When it came to the other 11, who was it who had chosen them? Was it not Jesus? You see, an apostle is not called by men, but by Jesus Christ himself. And so here in the, in the book of Acts, it, it would also be Jesus this time who would choose, choose between these two men. Look, look at our last three verses. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The first thing we should note is that they all prayed, right? That they had turned to God in this important matter. You see, these, these apostles knew that they could not rely in their own wisdom. They needed the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And so they were seeking God's will in this decision. For, for they knew that, that, that truly only God knows the human heart. And so it must be Jesus who selects this man. And that's why we see them casting lots. What does it mean to, to cast lots? Well, it's like rolling a dice, right? Or flipping a coin. It, it, it's taking the decision out of human hands. Now, people, a lot of people might think that by casting lots, they were leaving this major decision up to chance, right? But that's not the case. For, 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 for one, casting lots was actually a, a divinely sanctioned means that for generations the Israelites had used to determine God's will. For, for example, one just has to look in the book of Exodus. It's there we read about the, the Urim and Thummim. If you don't know what those things are, I'm about to explain it. Um, but basically God had charged Moses to put the Urim and Thummim in the breastplate of the high priest. Look at Exodus 28, verse 30. And the breastplate Breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart, 
when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. These Urim and Thummim, they, they were a type of lot that could be cast. And they were cast in order to seek the will of God on difficult matters. To, to see an example of this, take, take a look at the book of Ezra. Look at Ezra chapter 2, verses 59 through 63. The following were those who came up from Talmalah, Telharshah, Cherub, Adon, and Immer. Though they could not prove their father's houses or descent, whether they belonged to Israel, the sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, also the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakoz, and the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there. And so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult the Urim and Thummim. So here we see this case where there were some Israelites who couldn't, or they claimed to be Israelites, who, who could not prove their genealogical descent. And thus they needed to wait upon a priest in order that he might use this Urim and Thummim, in order that he might seek the all-knowing God. Basically, he would be casting lots to see if these people were truly descendants of Israel. Again, look, look at Proverbs 16, verse 33. Listen to the wisdom of Solomon. It says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Here's the deal. If we believe in a God who created all things, if we believe in a God who is all-powerful, and if we believe in a God who actually listens to his people when they pray to him, then, then why, don't, why do we think that this casting of lots is simply a game of chance? This, this wasn't a game of chance. No. Rather, this was an honest and legitimate way for these apostles to determine God's will. I mean, they, they prayed about it first, right? They had trusted in the Lord that he would make his will known. And he did make his will known. For the will of Jesus Christ was that Matthias would take this office. Well, the twelve were now restored. And these apostles once again represented the twelve tribes of Israel. They were in God's will, ready to go about the business of being used to restore God's kingdom. They would just have to wait, right? Wait for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what does this have to do with the church today? Right? And we've gone through all these details, maybe too many details, I don't know, maybe you like the details. 
But we, we, we no longer have apostles today. So what does it matter? Except to satisfy our own curious minds, right? Well, it matters because in this action, we see the principles of how God directs his church. How he establishes his people in an orderly fashion, making sure that they are prepared for when the harvest arrives. You see, when, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, these men, they would have to be ready. Ready to take care of thousands upon thousands. They needed to be ready for, for this restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They needed to be prepared. I mean, think about it. I think on the first day, it's something like three or three to five thousand that come to know Jesus. How are you going to structure that? How are you going to organize that? Well, if you've got 12 apostles, that's a start, right? The same is true for today. God's people need to be prepared. Prepared prepared for when, when God expands his kingdom all around them. When, when he expands his kingdom all around us. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves is, are we prepared? Though the role of apostle is no, no longer with us, it, though it is no longer necessary because the canon of scripture is closed, and we now get our apostolic leadership from, from the words of the New Testament. Even though there are no new apostles today, the church still functions with leadership positions that need to be filled. There, there are roles that people must take on, such as the roles of elders and deacons. And this is something that we as New Hope Church need to firm up. Listen, I, I believe that, that, that God wants to do great things in this church. I believe that, that God wants to work through us to see many, many people come to him. I believe that God wants to grow his kingdom right here in Oxford. And yet at the same time, I believe that God wants us to be prepared. Prepared for the harvest that he will deliver. And part of that preparation is establishing our leadership. This means recognizing elders and deacons and placing them in positions and, and roles where they can thrive. And what is an elder but, but, but a man who is of upstanding character and able to lead and teach? And what is a deacon or, or a deaconess but a person who also with upstanding character who desires to serve Christ's church by using the gifts that God has given to them. Dear friends, just, just as that early church needed a 12th apostle, we too, we need to be ready. Ready for when God advances his kingdom. Ready for when God rescues the lost right here in Oxford. We need to be prepared and we need, to, we need to have our leadership in place. So what does that look like practically? 
Well, for one, we already have some among us who have been filling these roles, right? And, yet, and we have yet to officially recognize them. And so that's something that we need to do as soon as possible. Two, there, there are others in our church who are probably ready to serve in some capacity, and yet they have either been too shy to ask or, or they haven't been given the opportunity. And this, too, is something that we need to figure out. We need to figure this out in order to get these people in the right spot. And finally, three, there, there are probably some among you who are not quite there yet. Either there is some character issue in your life or that you're currently dealing with or, or you're not quite sure where God has gifted you, how he can best use you. And so for you, if that is you, what we need to do is figure out these areas in which you need to grow. Whether it's in the area of gifting or some type of maturing or, or both. But no matter where you're at, no matter which category you find yourself in, whether you are an elder in the church or whether you're simply a new Christian trying to figure it all out, it doesn't matter just as long as you are moving forward. And that's my challenge for you this week. Let's figure out where you're at. And then let's come up with a plan to move forward. And, if, and don't think that you have to do this on your own, because you don't. Get help. Contact me. Contact one of the elders. Find a, another mature Christian in this church and say, hey, what do you see in my life? Where do you think I'm at when it comes to my role in New Hope Church? Let's, let's help one another out. Does that make sense? If we do that, well, then we, we as a church will be prepared. Prepared for the harvest that the Lord has planned for us. It's always good to be prepared, isn't it? All right. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you now with expectant hearts. We believe that you are working among us, that you are working in our midst, that you are preparing the hearts of those around us to believe this good news of your son, that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, that he is now reigning by your side. And that you are expanding your kingdom, even as we speak. And so we ask that you would prepare us. Prepare us for that kingdom growth. Help us to recognize in ourselves the areas in which we need to grow. And then help us to work towards maturity as your people. 
Lord, we confess we cannot do this on our own. We can't do this in our own strength. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit. And so guide us, we pray, as we prepare for your harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name.